It's Wednesday, December 26th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. One of the biggest stories of the year was the capture of the Golden State Killer, one of California's most notorious serial killers. He went by many other names, the East Area Rapist and the Visalia Ransacker. But Joseph James D'Angelo was captured and charged with various rapes and murders that happened in the 70s and the 80s. Sam Stanton, reporter for the Sacramento Bee, joins us for what he is accused of and how investigators connected the DNA dots to track him down. Next, with the rise of money transfer apps such as Venmo, once again, you better check those privacy settings. Venmo's default privacy setting is set to public, which means all your transactions are visible to everyone. Xavier Harding, reporter for Mike, joins us to talk about hiding all those payments to your friends for Uber rides and burgers. Finally, taking a look back at some of the crazier moments of the year has to include rapper Kanye West. He faced a ton of backlash after a weird stream of consciousness rant on TMZ, where he said that 400 years of slavery was a choice. We spoke to DJ AO from hip hop station Real 92.3 for more on Kanye and his crazy outbursts. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. Sample from the you know, the East Area Rapist Golden State Killer was used in genealogy sites. And from there, uh, a family lineage was developed. And from that, a lot, a lot of work was done by detectives. Joining us now is Sam Stanton. He's a reporter for the Sacramento Bee. What was the mood of the room and what did it feel like when Joseph D'Angelo got wheeled into the courtroom? He appeared extremely feeble. You could barely hear him. He whispered yes when asked if that was his name. He whispered, I have a lawyer when asked if he would accept the public defender, and he ended up getting assigned the public defender. There are two police officers who were involved in the surveillance of him before his arrest who said he appeared perfectly healthy. He was riding his motorcycle at 100 miles an hour around town, running stop signs. He was apparently an avid bicyclist. He had been building a table the day he was arrested. So prior to his capture, there were no signs that he was ill. They used a website called jedmatch.com to find somebody in his family. Let's say you sent your information, your saliva into something like ancestry.com and they send you back a computer code of your genetic background. Sometime in the past, one of his distant relatives sent that kind of code into GEDmatch, seeking more information on who some of his relatives, his or her relatives might be. The DA's office took the DNA that they had from six different murders, two in Ventura County in 1980 and four others in Orange County, and they loaded their computer code into the GEDmatch site, and they found sort of a match, close enough for them to take another look. And what that led them to was, as it's been described to me, as a very large family tree of possibilities. And so they started picking off the possibilities one by one. If it was a woman, it was automatically disqualified. If it was someone in their 30s, disqualified. And they kept going until they got to people who were the right age. And then they started looking, do these people have any connections to California? This apparently took months. And they finally got to D'Angelo. And of course, he's the right age. He lives in California. He li- actually lives right in the center of the cluster of attacks that the that are attributed to the East Area Rapist. So that was when they began their surveillance of him. It's pretty amazing. I went on to GEDmatch.com 
come just briefly to see what the layout is, see what it looks like, see how the connections are made. And it's really just tables and codes and numbers. And it really seems like a daunting task to try to sift through all that. It's very confusing. I did the same thing you did. It almost doesn't make sense. I watched a how-to video on how to use the website so you can understand a little bit better. It seemed like this would take forever to go through. The officer who was behind this idea, he's a recently retired investigator from Contra Costa County, told one of our reporters for a weekend story here that he actually drove out to D'Angelo's house and sat out in front of it thinking about going up and knocking on the door before he changed his mind and they decided to pursue the surveillance and get the DNA matches and see if he was a match. Yeah, I did read that. It kind of gave me chills because he was curious whether he should go in and confront him or not. And he decided this guy could be dangerous. I should not do this. It's a bad idea. Another one of the, you know, how they narrowed it down, it was just really interesting. They said that according to one of his surviving victims, they overheard him sobbing and saying, I hate you, Bonnie. I hate you, Bonnie. Investigators thought it was very significant. And after searching, they found out that D'Angelo had been engaged to a woman named Bonnie in 1970 or so. That's a woman who still lives here in town, in fact, who has not responded to my calls, but they know who she is. I believe she's spoken with the uh, DA's investigators since the arrest. So I'm sure she'll be part of the case. Back to Jedmatch for a second. Do you know anything about California law? laws related to this familial DNA searching. I know that they limit some of these searches in the state's database, but these open source websites are pretty much fair game. There's a national criminal database of these DNA matches. There's a state database. There's even a Sacramento County database here, but they don't use those unless they have a solid suspect they're looking for. They don't use them for fishing expeditions, for instance. But these open source ones, the law enforcement's position is anybody can go on and look. And the investigator who did it in this instance used an alias to go in and start searching. Now, there are people who believe the validity of the evidence will be challenged in court. I'm sure it will be by his public defender, Diane Howard. But a lot of things are going to be challenged, and I don't think they're too concerned that that's going to get this case thrown out, frankly. Right, because the DNA they ended up matching was actual DNA from D'Angelo and then stuff that they had from a crime scene. Right. That's what they say. And we don't know what else they have. They've been out searching his house. And one of the really odd things about this case is that the East Area Rapist took trophies from his victims, a set of china, class rings, jewelry, things of that nature. And all of the detectives who worked the case back in the 80s and 70s, who I've spoken to, are convinced that the rapist kept that material. So if those items turned up in his house, that'll be another line of evidence for them. You also had a chance to speak to Sheriff Scott Jones uh, from Sacramento County there. Has D'Angelo been cooperating with them in the meeting? No, no. I've, I've had a couple people tell me that they went in to interview him, and when they did, he basically was muttering, staring face down at the table. There was no confession. There was no real discussion from what I've been told. He apparently looked somewhat like he looked in court to us. Just dazed and confused. Sam Stanton, reporter for the Sacramento Beat, thank you very much for joining us. Kanye West gets it. He gets it. He gets it. Joining me now is DJ AO from Real 92.3. Thank you for joining us. Oh, of course. It's right downstairs. It's easy. (laughs) (laughs) So let's get into some of this Kanye West controversy. He comes back on Twitter and things just start going crazy. He uh, starts talking about his new album that he's going to have. He uh, 
mentions his support for President Trump. He's has right. a picture with the Make America Great Again hat. Right. And uh, then TMZ interview. Everybody's all over him now. Uh, yeah. So what happened? What uh, If you can explain to us a little bit. It didn't surprise me some of the tactics that he was using. And Kanye is, is a known stir of the pot, if right. you will. It's interesting some of the views that he's taken. And it was easy to say, well, let's just let him speak and let's see where it goes. Because Kanye does this thing that I've always said, it's stream of consciousness. He doesn't really go through the filters that most people go through. Because a lot of, of your, even mine, or anyone's first thoughts sometimes you would never say out loud. You're like, whoa, let me actually, it's <laughs> not politically myself. correct. And right. let me actually say it because I don't want my thoughts to be misconstrued. Mm-hmm. Whereas Kanye... I don't feel that he does that. And and I'm pretty sure he would probably agree that he has a very stream of consciousness way of communication, which can be damaging at times because, again, you can be misconstrued. And that might be also why a lot of people think that he supports President Trump as well. He's kind of a similar personality, Uh very stream of consciousness sometimes. uh, You know, he does interviews and he keeps going and going until he makes his point. When it comes to Trump and Kanye, I think they know what they're doing. Trump always talks about, regardless of your support of him or non-support of him, he always talks about ratings and he always comes back to media and this is the largest crowd size ever. And he does that because he's from a reality show background. Kanye understands what it takes to move the needle of the masses as well, because when you say things that are extremely controversial, everyone talks about it. Look, we're now talking about it here. It's right. not, it's transcended hip hop radio. Everyone's talking about this. Exactly. So I think there's a method to the madness and I think there's an artistry to it, but I, I think that now it has gone to a level where some of the things that he has said, are, are they're almost damaging. He was getting a lot of blowback to the comments he made about slavery happening for 400 years and thinking, hey, I I think people want to be in that. No one can agree with that statement. And then he went on Twitter to clarify what he meant, but there is no clarification of of that one, unfortunately. People that have supported some of the statements he said, I know uh, Herman Cain was one of those. He said, uh, you know, he's describing a mindset of victimhood uh, yeah, yeah. and struggle. After I watched the Charlemagne interview, which is a great interview by uh, Charlemagne the God from our sister station, Power in New York, which uh, he's part of the Breakfast Club. And shout out to Charlemagne. It was an amazing interview right. and, and very in-depth. And especially when they were walking through Kanye West's property at the end, he really got some introspective questions out. And you could tell Kanye was truly thinking about them. Because what was interesting to me is that when you you take yourself away from the stream of consciousness thinking, Kanye can explain it. So when he explained his love for Trump, it was more about the chaos that it seemed like he lo- right. he loved about Trump. Because at one point he, he said- He sees himself as a similar person. I stir the pot, like you said earlier, I stir the pot and we're these kind of people. And so what he said was that he liked Trump's campaign and how what it represented it represented the breakdown of traditionalism and it and, and it represents it represents almost chaos and the chaos actually propelling him to a place that no one thought could happen so he said he liked that but he he said imagine if it was the Donald Trump style campaign with the Bernie Sanders right. type views and at that point you're like oh okay mm-hmm. well you know but then right after that the TMZ interview happens and it completely unfortunately breaks down that any sort of understanding you may have had because to talk about slavery being a choice is so offensive in so many different ways and so insensitive in so many different ways not only for black America but for minorities and and not only that white people cannot side with and you can't even begin to say that oh I agree no you can't that's right. crazy to say that and these are issues that still plague society today these are issues these are 
oppression issues that, you know, unless you're black or unless you're a minority, like you may not even see like white privilege is real. Like myself, I'm white and my father is from Syria, so I'm white and Arabic. But at the end of the day, like none of us know what it's like to be black unless you're black. I always equated it to this. If you're walking down the street or in your neighborhood, right? And it's in the middle of the night and you see a bush on fire and then you see a 10 story building on fire. Which are you going to try to put out first? The building. Exactly. Because there's people in there and it's a way bigger fire. And if that spreads, it's worse. So like you have to look at the oppression and just the situations and the systemic breakdown of community that has existed in the African-American and the minority cultures um, forever. And in the TMZ interview portion, you had an encounter with one of the producers, Van Lathan. I thought Van's response was incredibly well thought out. He wasn't attacking him. He was speaking his views. He was and to he, the point. And it he was told brief. Him, you're way up here on this artist level. Yeah. And, you know, you're obviously making a, mu- a bunch of money. And you're not living the life that a lot of normal people are living. Once someone becomes successful and you get into a certain bracket, like, I mean, at the end of the day, like money is influence. Mm-hmm. Once you're able to move around in a way that your everyday person is not like you can do things that everyone else can. You can move right. in a different way. So you you don't always still see everything the way you may have once seen when uh, you were coming up. And, and and you can't take anything away from Kanye West. He grew up in Chicago. Yeah. Like I lived in Chicago for eight years. Chicago is a very, it's, it's a very oppressed place in some parts of it. And you have to know that Kanye West really comes from that. So he should understand that thing. Uh, but again, I, I think that that doesn't work because these things are still affecting everyday life today. A lot of people are really quick to dismiss musicians, athletes. Yeah. But Kanye West in particular, I mean, he's a great musician, great artist. Where does he fit in You know why people are quick to dismiss musicians and athletes? And I always say this. When you look at entertainment in general, sports are incredibly important to our society. Entertainment is incredibly important to our society. The reason why people don't like athletes and entertainers speaking up is because they're meant to distract. So anytime that you have the distraction also speaking out, it becomes like, whoa, Whoa, this is supposed to be the safe place. This is supposed to be the distraction. You can't speak out and use this platform because it goes against the very reason it was created. It's not what the and I don't say this to be offended, but ignorance is not is not an excuse. And to be ignorant is not a insult. It's just you need to learn something about what you speak. I'm not the most intellectual person on everything, but, you know, I try to do research on things that I that I speak on. Do you think Kanye West is a little ignorant on a lot of the stuff that he speaks about? I know he's very stream of conscious. But he prides himself as Mm. knowing a lot. But then he, you know, he says these things and people really hit back at him. Do you think he's just uninformed? I don't think he is uninformed. I think he's well informed. I think the stream of consciousness thing allows him to say things that he does not fully think through that fully, again, illustrate his true thoughts. Because then he went on Twitter again last night after the statements and after it got out to try to explain what he's saying. I just think that he's speaking right now from a perspective and from a place where he's not thinking about the everyday individual who may be living in these conditions. Where does this go next? I know he's releasing his album and, and a lot of people are saying this is a promotion gone awry. I mean, people are going to always pay attention. To I mean, the album's coming out. Yeah. I, I think that everyone's going to listen. People now are interested. Like, I don't think because people are upset, they're not going to listen. I mean, but they may not. There's very few things that you can say to top the unfortunate ignorance level of saying that Play slavery was a choice. DJ AO, thank you very much for joining us. No problem. Let's <laughs> go.
study actually noted some of the most interesting Venmo users, which they call the humans of Venmo. She noticed drug dealers. Joining us now is Xavier Harding, reporter for Mike. There's been a huge rise in money transfer apps. I use Venmo. It's it's great for handing people money when you don't have cash on you. But there's this interesting thing that happens. We talk a lot about privacy and your data on this podcast. And Venmo does something interesting. Uh, their uh, default setting with your profile is always set to public. So whenever you're sending money, everybody can see it really. Tell us a little bit more about that. A researcher named Hong Duthi Duk, she was the one who pointed this out recently. She's a researcher based in Berlin. She's a former Mozilla fellow. She noticed that you know Venmo is public by default. There are three options, private, so no one can see your transaction, friends only, so only your friends and the friends of the person you're sending money to can see your transactions. And then there's public, so anybody with an internet connection can see your transaction. So that's the option that Venmo sets everyone to by default. If you never go into the settings section of your Venmo account, all your transactions are just out there. So she noticed this and she found the site that you can use to just see all the incoming transactions that are going through Venmo at one time. And she cataloged them all. Of all the transactions in 2017, she took note of over 200 million. She pointed out the fact that you can notice interesting patterns when you kind of look at all the transactions at once. There's a lot of your public data that you don't know you're giving away, especially with Venmo. It links a lot of times to your Facebook profile and things like that. So I can troll around for a while and find out a lot about you and you will never know who I am. To sign up for Venmo, one option you have is to link your Facebook account. And the Facebook account profile photo shows up in this public website where you can just view all the transactions if you have it linked. So if you can look at the first name and last name, which are also available on this public site, and you can also look at the Facebook profile photo, you can go to Facebook, cross-reference the name with the photo, and then learn way more about a person just from having those two pieces of information. You can find out where they live, more accurately the area they reside in, maybe not the address, as well as you know their interests, who else they're talking to and hanging out with. The study was really interesting. The study actually noted some of the most interesting Venmo users, which they call the humans of Venmo. She noticed drug dealers and one person they called the yellowest, yellow as in, you know, you only live once. And they were just eating and drinking so much soda and pizza <laughs> to the point where it calls into question, you know, if an insurance company saw this, could it possibly give you higher rates on like life insurance? I think the fact that, you know, this data becomes public, once that gets out there, you can't put that genie back in the bottle. There was a Wall Street Journal article that takes into account some of this stuff. It says, if you make a mistaken payment to somebody also, good luck getting that back. It's as simple as typing one letter off on a person's name and then boom, you send it to the wrong person. And they talk about this person who got a mistaken payment from somebody and then decided to go and investigate a little bit. They found out later that the person sent them a payment mistakenly. They researched them. Like, as you said, you know, it links back to a Facebook. You can find out more details from them. And they had made payment to another person for a quote unquote lesbian game. Later on, they were kind of embarrassed about it and they were trying to demand the money back. And you just got to be very careful with all this stuff. Luckily, Venmo puts measures in place so that there's at least a little bit of friction when you're paying some money to a user who's not part of your contact list. And luckily for them, they're able to get the money back if the recipient did not already cash out. One thing that users can do to protect themselves is very easy. You just go into your Venmo app, hitting that privacy button. You see public friends private, hit, take it off of public. Xavier Harding, reporter for Mike. Thank you very much for joining us. Take care, Oscar. All right, that's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. 
follow us on iHeartRadio, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The Daily Dive is produced by Miranda Moreno and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive. Daily Dive.